Select Power Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pell entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get started. Now, for two years... As part of COVID, we have been told you have to follow the science, and we've also been told that science evolved. So something that science thought was a fact six months before might not exactly be true there. And that's true. Things do evolve. My point has been a lot of the rules that have been put in place over the last two years have have not been based on science. And in many cases, they have been internally inconsistent. They've never made any sort of sense at all. And now, given where we are in March of 2022, they need to be reexamined. Let me give you an example of that. We all remember that there was a period of time where in order to go to work, you pretty much had to be vaccinated. Remember the the whole deal that you can't come into the workplace unless you are vaccinated and employers would say, unless you're vaccinated, you know, you're going to be terminated. And in fact, that that has happened. Now, some employers are backing off that as more and more people have gotten vaccinated and that the spread of COVID has gone down dramatically. So some people are backing off on that. But let me give you an example of one of these rules that never, ever made sense. In New York City last August, New York City, through the mayor, began requiring people who entered an indoor sports arena to prove that they had at least one vaccine dose. So if you were going to go to watch a basketball game, for example, or you were going to go to attend a show that was being staged at Madison Square Garden, you had to prove that you had at least one dose of the vaccination. All right, what that also applied to was local individuals. So if you worked in New York, the city also mandated that private employers could not allow unvaccinated employees to work at their workplace. So if you were unvaccinated, the city of New York said you cannot go into your workplace. And then employers had to decide how they were going to handle this. Well, you you might have been following the case of Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is a very, very good basketball player who plays for the Brooklyn Nets. He has refused to get vaccinated. As a result... Because of this rule that says that you have to be vaccinated to go into your workplace and you have to be vaccinated to go into a sports arena, he has not been able to play at any of the Brooklyn Nets home games. None of them. None of them in New York City. So he's played exclusively on the, at, for the team on the, at the away games. All right. Now, what's even weirder about this rule is that it applied to New York residents, people who worked in New York. The rule had an exemption that permitted out-of-town performers and professional athletes to perform or play in a New York City venue. So, for example, if a member of the Milwaukee Bucks was not vaccinated and came to Brooklyn or came to New York to play against the Nets or the Knicks, that unvaccinated Milwaukee Buck could play. 
But Kyrie Irving, who is a member of the New York team, he couldn't play. I, I, I'm just, I understand you might be saying, Jeff, this can't be how it is. But it is. That's exactly what th- this is. It was a rule that applied to New Yorkers but didn't apply to professional athletes from other teams outside of New York. So, you know, the the commissioner of the NBA correctly said it really, it doesn't make much sense that, you know, okay, unvaccinated people um, from the Bucks, for example, in my instance, can can sit on a bench. And I don't know if the Bucks have anybody that's unvaccinated or not, but if they did, they could sit on the bench and they could play. But Kyrie Irving can't. It, It made absolutely no sense. Well, something that makes even less sense is that yesterday the mayor of New York announced that he was going to drop the rule as it applies to professional athletes who live in New York or entertainers who live in New York. So as part of the new rule change, Kyrie Irving, who, for example, has not been allowed to play for home games, now he can play in home games. No problem. A New York City performer who is unvaccinated, who couldn't couldn't play in in a venue, for example, like the Madison Square Garden, they will now be allowed to play. All right. So he's lifting the vaccine mandate when it comes to professional athletes and professional performers. Here's the catch. He's keeping the mandate in effect for all other New York employees. So if you're Kyrie Irving, you can now go sit on, on the bench and play in a game in New York. If you're the, 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 the singer, and you can now go and you can perform in New York if you're unvaccinated. But if, I don't know, you're the guy that works for the insurance company, you are still not allowed to go into your office um, with, unless you're vaccinated. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's stuff like this that, again, makes my head want to explode because it's just so inconsistent, and, and there's no science at all behind this. But regardless of how you feel about vaccine mandates and what they should have done last August and what they should have done last November when you had the Omicron uh, variant coming out and all, now we're in March of 2022. And I understand COVID has not gone away, but pretty much anybody who wants to get a vaccine has gotten a vaccine. Pretty much anybody who could be forced to get a vaccination has gotten a vaccination. And now we're left with a a chunk of the population, 15, 20, 25 percent, who just refuses to get the vaccinations. All right. My question is, given where we are and now given these sort of inconsistent rules that we're starting to to put into place, doesn't it make sense once and for all just to simply at this point in time drop the vaccination requirement and just say, look, the people who are vaccinated, they are largely protected. The spread of this has gone down dramatically, and we've got a chunk of the population that just flat flat out isn't going to get vaccinated. So isn't it time to just say, all right, those folks who aren't getting vaccinated, they're going to take their risks you know, and that's and and that's fine. You know, and if they get sick, well, they're they're going to again suffer more severe consequences than the people who've been vaccinated. But at this point in time, especially since we're now, I don't know, um, splitting hairs on what type of unvaccinated people can now go back to work, isn't it time once and for all just to drop the vaccination requirements and? 
get back to normal, recognizing that the people who have, for whatever reason over the last two years, made the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated, they are at greater risk. 855-616-1620, because i got to tell you, what they're doing now makes absolutely no sense at all. Number one. Number two, I just don't think we can continue to create a, a second class of citizens. Um, pariahs treating people who haven't been vaccinated as something less than everybody else to the point that we say, okay, you're not going to be allowed to go into workplaces. You're not going to be allowed to do these various things. You're not going to be allowed to go see a basketball game. Makes no sense to me. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 556-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So if you're just tuning in, New York City, going back to last August, has had a vaccine mandate. In order to go to sporting events, in order to participate in events, in order to go to work, you had to be vaccinated. That was the city's rule. Um, as a result, Kyrie Irving, who's a basketball player who plays for the New York Net, for the Brooklyn Nets, he hasn't he, he he hasn't been able to play at home games. He so he plays when he's on the road, but he can't play at home games. Now the the idiocy of this policy is that it did not apply to players from other teams. So if you have an unvaccinated player from the Cleveland Cavaliers, you don't mind using the Bucks as an example, they could come, they could play in New York, and it's fine. They could sit on the bench, but Kyrie Irving can't play. It, it never made any sense. Yesterday, the mayor says, okay, we're changing this policy. We're going to make an exception for professional athletes and musicians. So our New York players, they can go and they can now play. But we're not going to make an exception for anybody other than the professional athletes and the music and the uh, musicians. So if you're the insurance salesman who has been barred by the city from going into your place of work, that rule still stays in effect, it, which, again, it just makes no, at least in my opinion, makes no sense at all. But I think where we are, the bigger point in 2022, March of 2022, it is these vaccine mandates, it's time to get rid of them. Look, I'm vaccinated. I think it's a good idea for people to get vaccinated. But the bottom line is you have... I don't know, depending on where you are in the country, 15 to 20 to 25 percent of the population who hasn't gotten vaccinated, they're not going to get vaccinated. They can't be threatened into getting vaccinated. And given the fact that COVID is lessening, given the fact that the people who are vaccinated are as protected as they get, I just don't think it makes any sense to have these vaccine mandates in effect Period. Let's start with Rick in Crivets. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. What do you think? I think this is all wrong. I think this is all wrong. The Democrats are just trying to ruin the world, take take over the world. I'm not vaccinated. I got the um, virus of 2020. I'm still well. I go to the doctor. I'm still, you know, I'm 60. I'm uh, healthy. I'm strong. You know, it's just like and, a flu. And, and, you yeah, just get it. Yeah, and then you get over it. Rick, thanks thanks for the call. I, and I don't, see, I don't want to make this a partisan thing. And I think that that's part of the problem with it because, you know, we, we say, okay, Republicans feel this way. And I, look, I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm vaccinated. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not, I am not anti-vaccination. Um, I thought it makes sense. For me, being vaccinated worked out fine. But right now, the pandemic is subsiding. I'm not saying it can't 
blow up again. But right now, the pandemic is is subsiding. Right now, the thing that we know is the people who are vaccinated are much less likely to have severe consequences. But the incidence of COVID is gone is down all all over. So isn't it time to drop the vaccine requirements? Because I said earlier, the people who aren't vaccinated aren't going to get vaccinated. So are they now the second or third class citizen? How long do we say, okay, you're not going to be allowed to go into your workplace? And the idea that, for example, that this New York thing just demonstrates to me the idiocy of this the idea that we're now going to pick and choose and we're going to say okay well the professional musician or the professional athlete you now can go into your workplace if you're not vaccinated but all you other little people the little people out there you you've got to be vaccinated i mean that just demonstrates the fact that this is probably arguably never made any sense, but it certainly doesn't make any sense as we sit here in March of 2020. 855-616-1620. Dave in Madison. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Uh, just calling to say, just calling to say it's New York. What do you expect? <laughs> you know, anybody that's, uh, that doesn't live in New York, anybody that doesn't live in New York could, give give a crap about what they're doing in new york and that's so and why do you think all the people are heading out of new york and moving to florida and tennessee yeah besides the weather well thanks to call dave there i mean there, there there there's a number of factors about that but i guess i just I, I wanted to use the new york story as the springboard for kind of the, this larger issue that you know we've we, we've been told been told for two years that you got to follow the science. But I would argue that in many cases, the decisions that were made, the science we were following was political science, not science science. But even even with that, stuff evolves. We are at a different stage of the pandemic now than we were six months ago or a year ago, et cetera, et cetera. We know a lot more, and people have kind of ended up making their decisions. But I think at least as far as government requiring the, these mandates, it's way, way, way time to move from that. Now, one of our texters says, well, what about private companies deciding? Well, to me, that's a, that's a different story. That's different than, in this case, you've got the government, which is intentionally, and I think probably illegally, discriminating against different classes of individuals. For a private employer, I think it's a different call. To me, the question isn't whether or not a private employer has the right to do something. Can a private employer says we say, we want all our employees to be vaccinated as a condition of coming back to work? Can they do that? Yes, I think they have the right to do it. Is it necessarily the right thing? Well, my argument would be for most private employers, and, and let's let's move outside the healthcare field. Healthcare gets a little dicier. I would argue for most private employers, this mandate no longer makes sense. I mean, because again, you've created that second class of individuals, the people who want to get vaccinated, they have been vaccinated. They don't pose a, a general, I don't think they pose a huge risk given where COVID is now to other people who've been vaccinated. And the folks who are unvaccinated just kind of, I think, take their chances in you know dealing with this whole thing jeff why do you think the pandemic is lessened vaccines work okay all right vaccines work i'm not arguing against vaccines but the truth of the matter is there are a certain segment of our population who aren't going to get vaccinated 
So do we continue to treat them as second-class citizens? But if we're going to do that, don't we at least have to be consistent? And how can we say, okay, Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets, all right, he can go into his workplace and play, but the guy who sells insurance can't. It, it no sense. And, of course, this rule has never made any sense because – they, they allow you. They, they allow you know out of state players to come in and play. No, look, here, let's understand what's going on. The NBA playoffs are getting to, ready to start, and Brooklyn is a much better team with this player than without the player. And if you don't think that's a factor, well, again, we're, we're following the political science, not the science. The New York Yankees and the New York Mets are getting ready to start their season. There are a number of New York Yankees and New York Mets, including a couple prominent ones, who I don't believe are vaccinated. And if this rule stayed in effect, well, okay, some very prominent Yankee players might not be able to play home games. And this poses a political problem for the mayor of the city of New York. So mysteriously, this rule disappears, demonstrating once again that it was never really about the science, at least the science of biology and things like that. It was more about other considerations. I'm just saying you can't have it both ways. And and maybe it's time to reassess where we are in March of 2022. And things that you might have been able to justify in July of 2021 don't apply anymore. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, so a guy who's unvaccinated can play basketball, but the usher in the same arena can't work if not vaccinated. That's nuts. The government needs to let go of these mandates. Yes, it is absolutely nuts. And it's getting crazier as time goes on. And and this is just a story that points out the insanity of at least the government-imposed you know, vaccine requirements. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Looking to brighten up your home? Get in touch with the window and door professionals at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin to get started on making your property look and feel more incredible today. For more information, call 888-984-1344 or visit PellaWI.com. Do it today. All right. You got to hate it when people kind of use your own words against you. You know, it's just sort of that. That's it. Well, if you will remember back in the State of the Union address, President Biden, who for whatever reasons in his effort to try to pivot away from COVID, you know, um, his, his performance numbers and approval numbers, whether you agree with them or not, not doing well. And one of the things that boosted him early in his presidency was his response to COVID. Well, people kind of soured on that. You can say it was beyond Biden's control. I don't care about that. But the reality is COVID no longer became a winning issue for the Biden administration. And that's why, you know, he said multiple times, including in the State of Union address, given that we have entered a different phase of dealing with this virus, um, we believe that COVID-19 no, need no longer control our lives. All right. And that's why, for example, just in time for the State of the Union address, they dropped the mask rule in, in Congress. And it's because a lot of the politicians did not want to be shown on international TV, you know, wearing the mask. So it, we don't want to have it control our lives. Well, the mask mandates have pretty much fallen by the wayside 
almost everywhere in the country. There is a couple sort of holdouts, but in general, they, they have fallen by the wayside, except when it comes to one thing, and that is airline travel. In well, back in 2020, you will require that the we'll call that the federal government said, okay, if you're going to be in an airport, you have to wear a mask while you are in the airport. And if you are going to be on an airplane, you have to wear a mask while you're on the airplane. Now, those rules have led to all sorts of problems. You have passengers who don't want to follow the rules. You have passengers who try to get around the rules by saying, well, as long as I'm actively eating and drinking, I don't have to do it. So I'm going to bring a big bag of Fritos and I'm going to munch on them during the entire three-hour flight and I'm going to get around for this. You have people who don't wear the masks properly and you end up with these confrontations between the flight attendants and you know the, the passengers. We had a story that we talked about yesterday involving Southwest Airlines where the mother of an eight-year-old autistic child child shows up and she's got the letter from the doctor that the kid has trouble wearing masks etc she says well but I'm going to do my best to keep the mask on him and ultimately they say nope we're not going to allow this eight-year-old autistic child onto the plane because we're worried that he might not be able to wear the mask it's just been again nothing but problems and maybe like we were talking about with the vaccination rule in the first half hour of the show you know maybe maybe there was a point in time where the mask rules made sense maybe but is that still the case in march of 2020 now the federal government has just extended the mask rules on airplanes and in airports to run through April 18th, I believe is the day. It was supposed to expire on March 18th. They've just decided, they've just extended it to mid-April. All right, that's the deal. The airline industry has just weighed in, and in a letter that they apparently released to the public on yesterday, they're saying they're asking the Biden administration to end the mask requirement and eliminate other COVID-19 protocols for travelers. Airlines for America, which is a trade association that represents American Delta, United Southwest, Alaska, JetBlue, and other carriers, sent a note to the Biden administration saying, quote, the persistent and steady decline of hospitalization and death rates are the most compelling indicator that our country is well protected against disease from COVID-19. Now is the time for the administration to sunset federal transportation travel restrictions, including the international pre-departure testing requirement and the federal mask mandate. The U.S. Travel Association, which represents the country's travel industry, also released a letter asking Biden to end the testing for international travelers and mask mandates on flights. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's let's tee this up. Whatever you thought about the mask mandates when they were first put into effect in the summer of 2020, whatever you thought about the mask mandates as they continue to be in effect all throughout 2021, given where we are with the pandemic now, given where we are with mask mandates in most of the world, 
Is it time to simply let these expire, not extend them beyond mid-April? 855-616-1620. For my part, I think it was a mistake to extend them beyond the middle of March. But that's just me. Under no circumstances do I think is there is a justification for continuing to extend them beyond April, which is not to say, by the way, that if you want to wear a mask on an airplane, you shouldn't be allowed to do it. Of course you can. And I think there's always going to be a certain percentage of people who for this day forward are going to wear masks on airplanes. 5%, 10%, don't know. That's fine. If you want to wear a mask on an airplane, no problem. Go with God. Should the federal government continue to require you to do this? And if you say, yeah, we're going to push it past April, my question is, when when do you end it? Do you keep this in place forever? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the government should absolutely end this policy. It seems like they're flexing their virtue signaling muscles in the last area of our lives that they can control. As you said, no one is asking for masks to be prohibited. We simply want to return to personal responsibility as we have in other areas of our life. Jeff, I think implementing these rules in the first place was a big mistake. They didn't make sense in 2021, and they absolutely don't make sense now. Well, I, I just, I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to rehash the arguments from 2021, but we're, if you look at all the COVID numbers and you look at the fact that pretty much, as I said earlier, anybody that wanted to be vaccinated has been vaccinated with some minor exceptions. Truth is, I, I think people, you know, have to make the choice to go on. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. Um, it's time to end it. The science says even with all the filters and whatnot on airplanes, the air is safer. Make it optional. Let's move on. Jeff, it's time to let them expire. We have a trip booked and we leave the day after it expires. Would make the trip so much easier if we didn't have to wear them. We have a three-year-old who just won't wear it. Now, here's the flip side. Masks, here's one of our texters. Masks have helped slow the spread of COVID, but not everyone can be vaccinated yet. My four-year-old cannot be vaccinated, and it's difficult to get him to wear a mask when other people are wearing are not wearing them as well. I, I'm sorry. You know, the question then becomes, do you keep these in place forever? Because the, the truth of the matter is there's always going to be people who aren't going to be vaccinated for whatever reasons. And I guess maybe the concern that I would have is if you're that concerned that your four-year-old is going to be exposed to somebody in an airplane and four, and it's going to get sick, well, well, maybe, with all due respect, maybe you should figure out another way to, to travel. Um, I, you know, Jeff, as long as K95 masks are available to those those of us who want to wear mask up, and as long as we are not belittled for our choice to do so, I think all mandates need to be done. Well, yeah, I mean, to me, that that's kind of, I, I would think it's sort of self-evident. Like I've been saying since the start of this pandemic, I believe that there's a certain chunk of the population that will never go out in public again without wearing masks. And again, I'm okay with that. You know, if that's if that's what you need to, you know, um, have have a certain comfort level, and even if it's not COVID, if you're wearing the masks because, well, I don't know, you've got a compromised immune system and you don't want to get the flu, you don't want to get any of these things, I respect that. I, I, I do. But at some point in time, you, you can't say to everybody else that, no, you know, you have to do this as well. 855-616-1620. Denny in Wapaka. Denny, you're on WTMJ. 
Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I flew to Columbia, South America, about 12 days ago, flew back two days ago. I While there, I flew out of Miami, and nobody had a problem wearing a mask uh, that I saw on a plane. I dined out about a dozen times, and masking is still mandatory inside in Columbia. I didn't see one person with an issue. Nobody didn't wear their mask. Nobody was grousing about anything. I flew back into Miami, and I can tell you who the Americans are when you're sitting in the airport waiting for your next plane. I wonder how much of this is is politically driven. I wonder how much, and I'm not saying we shouldn't wear masks. What I'm saying is that, or we should or shouldn't, what I'm saying is right now in other areas it seems to be uh, a, a more often followed rule, and nobody grouses about it. But well, yeah, here, of course. I, but of course, I'm let me American. stop. You're talking. About, I can yeah, tell you the grouse is forever. Well, yeah, but you're, you're, no, you're. Isn't it fair to say that um, the way things are done, and, and I, I have no idea what the instance of COVID is in, in Colombia versus the United States, but um, my guess is right. people in Colombia, you know, view a lot of things differently than people in the United States do. You know, I, my my experience, my son and his wife are down there working for six months. They were the most kind people I'd ever been around, and I've traveled. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and I'm a 70-year-old American, and I've traveled this country. But my point was not that we need a mask or don't need a mask. I mean, I'm fine either way. My point was that nobody had a trouble following the rules there. Nobody was grousing about it. Nobody. I've listened to that for two years. Depending, and I'm an independent voter, so don't take this wrong. I'm not a lefty or righty, but so much of this was politically driven in my area in central Wisconsin. It wasn't medically driven. Okay. Yeah, no, and, no, I got so it, Danny. I'm interested in the I just thought I'd have yeah, no, 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 I appreciate it. I, I understand that, and I'm. I guess, and I'm, I don't certainly don't denigrate the the, the people of of Colombia, um, but a different different sort of world, I, I think, and different sort of stuff going on, and that's and that's fine. And by the way, this is not America going, you know, renegade of Great Britain, which has been much more draconian when it came to COVID rules. Even recently, Great Britain, I think they dropped their mask requirement on airplanes a few weeks ago. So they're they're ahead of the United States with. With regard to you know doing all this, so I, I mean I, I think that that's the factor that's there. Denise and East Troy. Denise, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, we have a trip coming up in a few weeks, and we, I don't really fly a lot anyway. But every time I fly, I get sick, whether it's a cold or whatever. I'm wearing a mask. I don't wear a mask anymore, you know, but. If people want to wear a mask, that's fine. If they don't, then they don't. But I think it's going to keep other people from getting other sicknesses because a plane is so confined. And I, I'm i going to be on the safe side and wear a mask while we're in the airport and on the plane. Did you wear one before COVID? Uh, and when I worked yeah. in the operating room, yes. I, but no. No, but I mean, no. on a plane, yeah. I did not okay. before COVID. Okay, so would I be uh, fair no, to I say? No, I did not that, on a plane. I, sure. Okay, so uh, to be fair no, to say I, that I you're concerned. Wear one on a plane. Okay. Okay, your concern moving forward. It, it's not just COVID. Would it be you don't you just don't want to get exposed to the the kid that's sitting behind you who's coughing up a lung or something like that? 
Exactly. I don't want to get a flu. I don't want to get a cold while we're on vacation. And it seems like I always do before. So now I'm going to be wearing a mask. And it's got nothing to do with COVID. You know, I mean, if it's mandatory, of course, but if it's not, I'm going to choose to wear a mask for my own yeah. safety, for my own safety. Well, uh, Denise, thanks for the call. And see, and that that's fine. And I, I don't think any of us would argue that you shouldn't have the, the right to do it. And I, I know what you're talking about. Again, it might just be anecdotal for me, too. But I, a lot of times when I would come and get colds, I could trace it back to sitting on an airplane. And inevitably, I, I had the little kid sitting behind me or across the aisle who's coughing up a lung and hasn't figured out that you're supposed to, like, cover your mouth when you sneeze or cough. So I, I, I understand that. And I think that there's a valid reason for people who decide they want to wear masks on planes. Of course, you know, the the airline industry will tell you with that recycled air and stuff that it's actually a lot safer to be on a plane than to be, I don't know, sitting in, in a baseball stadium next to the kid that's coughing up the lung or sneezing or whatever. But again, I respect the fact that people you know, can do that if they want. My beef is I don't think there's any longer a justification for the government to forcing people to do that. And if we're not going to drop it now, my question would be, when would we ever drop it? And I'm getting some texts from people who are suggesting that they don't think we should ever drop it, that this is... This is the way it should be because masks make it less likely that people might get sick. So the government should require this. And everybody who goes out in these circumstances should always wear masks. Sorry, I just don't think that that's the government's responsibility to do. I think that's a bridge too far. And if seriously you are uncomfortable being in public, um, even after you've been vaccinated, you're uncomfortable being in public around people that that um, aren't wearing masks. Well, I think you're going to just have to rethink some of your lifestyle choices because I don't think we can force people to wear masks forever. And even Joe Biden has come to that conclusion as he's talking about how, you know, we can't let COVID control our lives anymore. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, we took two years to get to this point. Let's have a few more months of patience. Americans whine too much. Well, my, my comment to the texter would be, do you, do you think COVID's going to go away in two or three months? I mean, it, it's not. I mean, what we're being told is that that COVID, for example, is going to be endemic. It's going to be with us. And what we've done now is we've flattened the curve. But, I mean, why does anybody think, you know, masks for a couple more months is going to make any difference at all? There's going to be periodic outbreaks of COVID. I think that's the reality. Jeff, we just came back from Punta Cana this Sunday, spent three hours of our vacation, 24 hours prior to take, 24 hours prior to leaving to take and prove negative COVID tests before getting on a plane to the U.S., Two kickers, all on board, had proven negative, yet we all had to wear masks. Why could that be? Then the customs person comes on upon landing to remind us to social distance after being crammed on a flight for five hours. Yeah, consistency has never exactly been the hobgoblin of the way we have approached COVID. But I think it's time to do away with the mask requirement on planes. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I I, I throw this out just for your consideration. 
So we've just gotten, this this census has just gotten completed. And, of course, one of the things they do every 10 years is we conduct the census to find out. um, One of the reasons you do the census really is for the drawing of political districts, because as we have explained before, that the congressional districts are supposed to be approximately the same size. Um, in Wisconsin, the Senate and Assembly districts are supposed to be approximately the same size. But what happens is, you know, um, people move. So what you do is just because, I don't know, the city of Milwaukee had X number of people in 2010 doesn't mean that they had the same number of people in, in 2020. Matter of fact, chances are it, it, they're going to have more or they're going to have less. So that's why you have to do a census every 10 years to find out where people are. And it always shows kind of interesting information. So here's the deal. They've just come out with their national numbers. And one of the things I found interesting was focusing on those communities that lead the nation in population decline. Okay, the communities that have lost the most people between 2010 and 2020. Well, I guess I'd open up the phone lines and let you guess, but I'll I'll save that for this. The number one county in percentage, percentage of population decline, the number one county in the United States New York County, New York. New York County, New York um, lost 6.9% of its population. Uh, The population um, in April of, um, let's see, it has now dropped to 1,500,000 people. So that has declined. San Francisco County. That's number two with a decline of 6.7%. San Mateo County, California, is number five. San Mateo County is Oakland, the Oakland area. That's 3.5%. Bronx County, New York, 3.2%. Queens County, New York, 3.1%. Hudson County, New Jersey, which is kind of New York, that's 3.1%. So let's put this in perspective. Of the 10 counties that have lost the greatest population, one, two, three, four, five are essentially around New York City, and two others are essentially around San Francisco and the Oakland area. So seven out of those 10 counties, it's been people voting with their, their feet, people voting with their pocketbook, people saying, look, we're done and we're moving. And my guess is that that trend is not going to slow down anytime soon as people leave California, as people leave New York. And there's a lot of reasons for doing it, but um, I think it should be an indicator that when it comes to, for example, the San Francisco area, I think people are, are just kind of done with a lot of the wacky laws, a lot of the wacky rules, and they're ready to move. Same thing true with New York. People are saying, look, we're just, we don't want to live here anymore. Now, a lot of people still do. I understand that. But percentage-wise, fewer and fewer. All right, let's talk about a different portion of the country. This is this week, last week, next week, big weeks for spring break. Right, And spring break, of course, is when people from our area decide that they want to see that thing that's up in the sky that orange thing that the sun and they just 
want to get away and they want to celebrate. So typically when it comes to spring break, people tend to go to warm weather areas, right? That's just it. You want to go to Disney World. You want to go to Disneyland. You want to go to some place where you can play golf, all those sort of things. Well, anyhow, there's a number of communities that are very, very big economically, and they depend on on spring break. COVID put a crimp in that. But as we've been talking about for the last hour, COVID, I think people, whether they should or not, people are over COVID and people are out there willing to party. In no place has it has, has the party-hardy spirit hit harder than in Miami Beach. In Miami in general and South Beach, which is a very, it, it's, a, it's an area in Miami. I have a South Beach story. I, I used to, in another life, um, when I was working as a prosecutor, I, I used to spend a lot of time in South Florida, particularly the, the Miami area, just working on cases and things like that. And um, I always remember being in the South Beach area, and one of the most prominent restaurants in South Beast Beach is a, a place called Joe's Stone Crabs. They, they have them all over, but one of the first locations is in, it's in South Beach in Miami. And I was there with a the DEA agent, and we're having dinner and in the alley behind us this is back in the days when they were filming Miami Vice and they were shooting they were shooting Miami Vice in the alley behind us and so we what ended up happening is we went onto the set and we identified ourselves and then the assistant director let us onto the set to, to watch stuff and um, ultimately we, we watched them shoot the the things and we were actually kind of in the background in, in a crowd scene but never never made it onto TV or anything like that but it's always like hey, this is kind of cool we're there and South Beach is a great place South Beach is one of the places that people flock to when it comes to spring break so much so that they have had a huge problem last year there were over a thousand people that were arrested during spring break this year they have more people than they had last year and they are on a pace to exceed the number of, of arrests and last year it was a huge problem and if you've seen any of the TV coverage of this you know on, on any given night South Beach is just wall-to-wall people I mean think Think about the Deer District the night last year after the after the Bucks won the the NBA championship. I mean, but it's like that every night. They've had lots of instances of vandalism. They've had lots of instances of drunk and disorderly. They've had just in the last couple of days they had over five shootings, and the, the city managers have decided, okay, enough is enough. This isn't. We appreciate that you know people you know come down here and have fun but but this isn't this isn't fun it's destructive we've had to add 400 more 400 more police officers onto the scene we've had all these shootings so it's a huge problem so what they announced yesterday in an effort to kind of roll this back and calm it down is first of all they announced a midnight curfew that you know all places and some including some places that for spring break used to be open all night Midnight curfew. You know, everybody's got to be off the street. People have to be, and businesses have to be closed, you know, so people can get back to their hotel by midnight. They've also announced a rule that starting at actually 6 p.m. Eastern Time tonight, stores must halt 
alcohol sales. This is off-premise alcohol sales, so you're not going to be able to go into the 7-Eleven and buy a 12-pack of beer or a bottle of wine. All the liquor stores are going to have to close. You can still buy liquor, but you have to be in, in a bar or a restaurant. But um, the idea that you can walk into a liquor store and, and buy a case of beer and just kind of walk up and down the street, you're, you're not going to be able to do that. And they've also got a couple other requirements as well with regard to when the, po- the parking garages have to close. But they've put this into effect in an effort to try to control the crowds. All right, well, here's where it's interesting because a number of people – who are upset with this effort to control the crowds have decided to play the race card because apparently the majority, the majority of the people who are down there partying, and these aren't just spring breakers. To, to be fair, they say that of the arrests, about 50% are South Florida residents and about 50% are, are people from out of state. But the overwhelming percentage of the partiers are, are persons of color. Now, I, I don't know why that is. I, I, I have no position on why that is, but that's, that's kind of the reality. And if it's true. If you look at the, the films of the arrest of stuff, what you see is you see a lot of young, predominantly black males walking up and down the streets and things like that. So the argument is, is okay, th- this, is, this is racist because... What you're doing by imposing these different requirements, this is going to, since the the people that are down here are predominantly black, what you are doing is you're discriminating against people. The mayor of Miami was very, very aggressive, and I saw him on television last night. He's saying, look, we're, we're, we're not regulating race. We're regulating behavior. And the problem is that we have people who are out of control, it's property damage, it's all these various problems, and we're not going to put up with it anymore. And it doesn't matter who the race of the perpetrator is, we're trying to regulate the behavior. But the truth is... The behavior they're regulating is involves, you know, primarily persons of color. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are these restrictions unreasonable? The, the businesses aren't necessarily happy because, you know, they, they make money on the spring breakers. Hotel occupancy is like 91%. So it's a huge party. And some people make money by the huge party, but other people become prisoners in their own home. 855-616-1620, is it wrong for the mayor to impose these curfews, for example, to try to keep the rowdyism down? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. The next Milwaukee mayoral debate happens here, hosted by our partners at TMJ4 News. Tune in Sunday at 6 p.m. as Cavalier Johnson and Bob Donovan discuss the issues that matter to you. Moderated by Charles Benson and Shannon Sims, you'll hear the entire debate live right here. The Milwaukee mayoral debate Sunday at 6 o'clock on News Radio WTMJ. Jeff, I don't have any problems with this at all. The ones that are complaining are probably the ones that are contributing to the problem. Jeff, it isn't wrong for the mayor to impose curfews and reduce alcohol sales. There is a part of society that wants to play the race card every time they don't think the rules and laws should apply to them. I think enough should be 
enough. Jeff, I don't think it matters what race a person is. If they don't know how to behave like adults, the mayor has a responsibility to protect the residents of the area. There's no excuse for acting up and destroying property or disrupting the lives of everybody. Jeff, I was on vacation there um, years ago by accident during spring break. Let me tell you, I won't make that mistake again. The mayor is 100% right. Um, yes. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? I think the mayor is absolutely within his rights. I think probably the most, the biggest responsibility of a mayor is for the safety and welfare of his town. And I'm sure there's plenty of blacks that live there that aren't involved with spring break. And he's looking out for them as well as everybody else that lives there. These people come down there and, like you said, 50% are probably residents and 50% aren't. But, you know, they, the ones that are coming down, they might just be there for like a weekend. They don't necessarily care too much about their town. And probably right, and the people that, are that live there. Yeah. yeah, and I understand that. I have nothing against that at all. I mean, that's a, that's a tradition that goes way back. But, yes, you, you still have to have respect for people and property. And if you can't do that, the mayor should do whatever in his power to control that. Yeah, thanks for the call, Mike. I mean, this is this is not unlike. Remember, they, they were having problems, and I, I think they've kind of they've got more of a handle on them. But remember, we had all these problems, and thank you for the call, Mike. They, we've got all these these problems that we had on on Water Street, for example, and you know you had all these different rules that were put into place because it was just getting out of control. That's when when that happens. What you you need you need people to step up and say we're just not going to tolerate this. Correct. So, Agree um, thank, yeah, thanks for joining us, Mike. Let's see. Um, okay, one of our texters says, you're confusing. You say government should not tell you to wear a mask. No, I don't think it should. Yet you appear to have no objection with government telling me when I cannot take a walk, when I cannot buy a beer. Um, you seem it's okay to believe that government can regulate my behavior when you wish. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, there, there, there are things that we call laws and, and rules. And the question is, do they make sense? And, and yes, when you have an out-of-control situation, I think government has every right to say, hey, we're going to put some limits on this in order to stop property damage, in order to stop people from getting injured. And yes, that's why we're going to cut off alcohol sales at, at 6 o'clock for packaged goods. And yes, that's why we're going to tell businesses they have to close by midnight. And yes, it does restrict your ability a little bit. But, you know, we, we have closing hours at bars in Milwaukee. What is it? Two o'clock in the morning. We have these closing hours because we think it's interesting and it's important in the public it, uh, the public sense to do that. Jeff, it seems odd. The cocaine capital of the U.S. for 40 years is having trouble with rowdy behavior. Why were you down there so much, I wonder? Well, I was down there in business when I worked as a drug prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I can kind of figure out everything from there. But the bottom line is, I, I just, and this was kind of the point, I, I always talk about how I really do believe that there continues to be real racism in this country. And when you see real racism, it needs to be identified and called out. But it does get a little bit tiring when you see situations where, in this particular situation, and the mayor is absolutely right. The mayor says, look, we're, 
we're trying to regulate out of control behavior and it doesn't matter who's engaging in that out of control behavior we're trying to regulate the out of control behavior and that's why we're putting these rules into effect and yes it is possible that it's going to involve more of this type of person than that type of person for whatever reasons you know it's going to probably impact more males than females well that doesn't mean we're discriminating against males it's just we're trying to control what goes on in public and this is the way we can do it and we're doing it by putting a curfew into effect and we're also trying to send a message to people who are looking to come down here and planning that it's not just that they're going to have fun and party and enjoy the beaches and stuff but they're going to be completely and totally out of control. We don't want you coming here, or at least the city doesn't want you coming here. Maybe some of the individual bars don't care, but the city is trying to send that message, and I applaud them for trying to do something. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, Donald Trump, back in the news, the investigator, the assistant, the prosecutor who worked for the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, who has been investigating Donald Trump for for years and who resigned uh, a couple months ago after the new DA decided that they, they weren't ready to issue charges now and probably forever. He released his letter to the his resignation letter to the they sent to the district attorney. He he went public with it, and again, that's the story in the New York Times and the Washington Post about how this assistant district attorney thinks there's evidence to you know charge the president. Let me say a couple things here. First of all, regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump, I, I have always believed that prosecutors speak through the indictments that grand juries return and the charges they bring in open court. I think it is inappropriate to say, well, I know we didn't issue charges here, but I think this person is guilty of this or that or or the other. I just think that that's, I think it's ethically inappropriate. I understand that it gets headlines and things like that, but still, if if the person responsible for bringing the charges, in this case the DA, doesn't believe you've got the goods, then then you don't have the goods. And I know, look, I'm sure this prosecutor is, the assistant DA who did the investigation is upset about this. I, I understand, but I think, you know, there's an issue here. Secondly, I understand why the DA didn't bring charges. The the case that they were looking at essentially said that Donald Trump um, inflated the value of various properties in order to get loans. Well, first of all, that, that's kind of a difficult thing to prove because sometimes it, it's t- you have to argue about what what's the real value of this. You know, I say, you know, my book collection is worth this. You say it's worth this. Okay, is it really fraud if I use the higher number? What complicates this in the Trump case is that the loans that were secured by these statements that they allege were false. It's my understanding, and I'm willing to be corrected, but these particular loans were all paid off. They they didn't go bad, so it's not like, hey, he defrauded the banks of all this money. He got these loans by making false statements, and, and then they didn't pay them off. Um, which is what happens a lot of times in fraud cases. You know, somebody lies to the bank to get the loans, and then they take the money and they never pay back the loans. The fact that 
I believe all these loans that they were looking at were in fact paid off makes it even more difficult to prove fraud. I don't know if Trump got away with something or not, but I, I do think it's inappropriate for assistant district attorneys to be going public and saying, well, this I believe he, he's guilty of this. Well, if they thought he was guilty of it, they should have been able to convince their boss to bring charges and then go from there. I love our text line. <clears throat> I, um, I, I was just pointing out how I, I thought the the former prosecutor who was involved in the Trump investigation really did not do himself a service by going to the New York Times and giving his resignation letter. I, I mean, the way I've always believed, and this is what I was always taught, that if you're the prosecutor, the way you speak to the public is through the indictments that the grand jury returns and the evidence that you present in court. And I just, I just, I've always felt this is inappropriate for, for example, DAs or assistant district attorneys or whatever to say, well, we, we really think this guy is guilty as you know what, but you know, we're, we're not charging him because we don't have the evidence or whatever. Well, then you shouldn't speak like that. You shouldn't say that. That's you, you, if you don't have the evidence to charge somebody, or in this case, if the guy's bosses, the people that are elected to make that decision, don't feel you've got the goods, well, that's the decision they make. And if you don't like that, run for district attorney yourself and then end up making the charging decision. I just think it's fundamentally unfair to defendants to do that, whether the, the guy's name is Joe Schmo or whether it's, it's Donald Trump. So that was my argument, which was actually, I, I think, couched in terms of the fact that I thought Trump was getting a raw deal from this. But this, just to give you an idea about how crazy people are, you know, we have one of our texters who, it, it's always, you're just nothing but a Biden lover. Shame on you for even talking about it, Biden lover. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay. And yet these people listen day after day, day after day after day. Let us switch gears. The Milwaukee Police Department makes it extremely easy to track the level of crime in the city of Milwaukee. Um, they have this police department crime report that I've referred to, and it's, it's always a couple days late, but you, you can really, you can look at various categories of crime, and you can see where crime is compared to last year and compared to, to a couple years ago. For example, car theft that we talk about a lot. Last year, almost 10,500 cars stolen. That's almost 25 a day. And, and as unthinkable as that is, <clears throat> this year, it's essentially the same number. It's on a par. Same time last year, 1,952 cars stolen. Uh, this year, 1,959. So it's essentially, statistically, it, it's it's uh, it's unchanged. But it's just like a huge number. The big number this year over last year <clears throat> is homicides. <clears throat> last year, there were 193 homicides in the city of Milwaukee, which was an all-time record. Just an all-time record. I mean, I, when I was in law enforcement a long time ago, it was it was unthinkable that you'd have 100 homicides. And now, you know, they, they darn near had 200. And that was pretty consistent because in 2020, they had 190. This year, they have, last year, they had 193. This time last year, in what turned out to be a record year, there were 23 homicides. Year to date this year, there's 45. So it, it's almost up 100%, and, and this this is a lagging indicator because there was another murder yesterday, last evening, about 9 o'clock 
on, 20, on 38th and Wright, 27-year-old Milwaukee man was shot, transported to the hospital where he died. So that, that 45 number, it's at least one more and, and, and maybe more. So the, the point is, homicides just absolutely through the roof. And as I always say on this program, homicides aren't always the best indicator of the level of violent crime because anytime there is a shooting, it, it, it could easily turn into a homicide. And, and the fact that somebody's not dead when they're shot is oftentimes just a credit to either medical science or or dumb luck. <laughs> you know, because again, anytime you're shot, it you could have that result. But this year, okay, we're, we're double for all intents and purposes the number of homicides we had same time last year. If this trend continued, we'd end up with close to 400 homicides in the city of Milwaukee. Now, I, I just I don't think that's going to be the case because it's just I don't think you, I don't think there could be that many killings. I, I just don't. But I've been saying that for the last two months, and we've continued to be, you know, at double the, the pace from last year. But but this is, I think it's a big issue, especially with the mayor's race coming up, and people are going to be going to the polls in, what, a week from Tuesday. And I know open early voting has already started, so people are making these decisions. But I, I think crime is a huge issue that needs to be talked about politically. On top of that, as we make these decisions, on top of it, it, it affects livability and it affects people's choices as to you know whether they want to go to certain places and what sort of risks they want to take i mean if you if you drive a hyundai or a or a kia i mean do you really want to leave that car on the streets of milwaukee to go into a restaurant for a couple hours because will your car be there when you come out? You, maybe, maybe not. But I think it's at least fair to have that sort of conversation. When you look at the, the number of murders and the randomness of some of this stuff, I, I think it's, it's fair to alert it. So on, on this program, we talk about it. Well, yesterday we were discussing the Republican National Convention and the fact that there's a, a pitch that they're, they're making, Milwaukee is making, Milwaukee and Nashville are the two finalists. And, and after we had that discussion, I got one or two texts and emails that I really caused me to think over the course of, you know, the time between when the show ended and, and today. And and this was the this was essentially what the, the textures of the emails were saying. They were saying we shouldn't talk about this. You know, Milwaukee is trying to land the Republican National Convention. Milwaukee is trying to tout <clears throat> all these things that are good about the city. We we should not be discussing the fact that the homicide rate is is out of control. Because if people, I don't know, know that, maybe they'll be less likely to come to the city. We shouldn't talk about the fact that you know, cars are being stolen right and left because, well, it might discourage people from wanting to come to the city. So in other words, yes, we know this is the reality. Yes, we know that this is what's occurring. But, you know, we shouldn't we just kind of, you know, be like those, like the, the monkeys, you know? The, you know, you put the hand, hear no evil and see no evil and speak no evil. We should just, like, ignore this. Because, yes, it's going on, and, and yes, nobody has any ideas, and yes, it's out of control, and yes, we don't appear to be able to stop it, but just by talking about it and informing other people, we're, we're, not, we're not contributing to the solutions. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry, I could not disagree more with, with this line of, of thinking. I think when it comes to livability in, in a community, and, and what's going on in, in Milwaukee, for example, <clears throat> isn't necessarily any different than what's going on in Chicago or Indianapolis or, or other places. It might be a little worse in some areas and a little bit better in others. But 
but it, it's a huge problem with crime. <clears throat> and I think if you don't discuss it for too often, for too long, I think collectively it was just kind of brushed under the rug. Yeah, we'll, we'll catch people, we'll turn them loose, they'll go out to commit more crimes, and we're not going to discuss that. It, it's a messy subject. It's too complicated to explain. There's all these different causes of it. So we're, we're just not going to talk about it. We'll ignore it. But what happens is when you ignore these problems, they end up getting worse. So should we just ignore it? Should TV stop leading with the latest three murders on, on any given night in Milwaukee? Should the newspaper... Stop putting the stories about all the different shootings and things like that. Should we stop talking about this on the radio? Because, well, it, it's just not constructive to point out another night, you know, another two people dead. 855-616-1620. Look, I, I'm sorry if it makes the city look bad. I'm sorry if it makes some people feel uncomfortable. But the only way you bring about any sort of meaningful change, first of all, is if people in positions of authority are able to recognize that there is a problem and that there needs to be public pressure brought on those people to try to bring about solutions to the problem. All I know is ignoring it doesn't help and ignoring it doesn't work. And my evidence is just look what's been going on for the last three or four years. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, look, I, I understand that when you look at what's going on with crime in the city of Milwaukee, one of the things that happens is it it's by having the conversation, you do discourage some people from wanting to come to Milwaukee. I mean, and, and But I understand that. I mean, when, when you look at 24 or 25 cars being stolen every day, I'm sure that there are, are people in the suburbs or in the exurbs who are saying, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd love to maybe come down and take advantage, go to one of these restaurants downtown or something like that, but I, I just I want to make sure that my car is, is there when I come out after two hours if i got to park it on the street. And, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing about how 24 cars are stolen a day, so maybe you become reluctant to come downtown. Well, I... I, I get it. I understand that. But to me, you don't shoot the messenger. You don't say, well, we shouldn't have this conversation about this. Instead, the only way it gets back so that so that people just kind of blunder down there and then are shocked when their their cars are vandalized or they're stolen. No, the way you you bring about change is you have the conversation so that more and more people become aware of the fact that, yeah, this is a huge problem. And finally, it gets to be a bad enough problem that you motivate people to try to bring about some form of, of change. Jeff, wouldn't the publication of the homicide rate in Milwaukee discourage the RNC from having their convention here? Yet you can't cover the sky with, you know, two hands. Well, yeah, I I understand that that's the case, and, and that that's just the, the reality. It's it is so bad, it is so pervasive, it's so ongoing that you almost wonder, well, what, what can we do if if anything? But nevertheless, you you have to talk about it, Jeff. I, I think you know it's like a household. If you have a troubled teenager in your household, not talking about his or her problems is certainly not going to make the problems go away. Jeff, apparently there are more ostriches in Milwaukee than just in the zoo. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know that's what's out there, and I think you know there's a, a lot of effect there. Somebody says, "Oh, that would be funny." Headline: Jeff Wagner kills the convention. Okay, well, if if any of my friends who are pushing to bring the convention to Milwaukee want my input. I want it to be there. 
want it to be there. But I think part of the presentation's got to be, okay, this is what we're going to do for security. And this is, you know, how we're going to, you know, have security bubbles that are there. Now, candidly, my guess is for the Republican National Convention, having attended one of those, I attended the one in 96 in San Diego, um, that, you know, there, there are perimeters and there, I, I, my guess is the area where the convention goers are going to be is going to be one of the most safe areas ever. You know, that that's just the way it, it's designed with security and things like that. So I, I don't know that the out-of-control crime rate, for example, right now should be a discouragement for that. But nevertheless, it, it's an issue there. And if somebody, you know, in Green Bay looks at these numbers and hears about the numbers and says, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant coming into the, this area. Well, it's not the messengers who are talking about it. It's the people who are responsible for making sure that crime is under control, whether it's the police and a lot of this I don't blame the police for, or the district attorneys or the judges or the politicians who are responsible for passing the laws and coming up with the initiatives. If you don't like to hear about the fact that there's twice as many homicides same year to date this year than last year, my advice would be figure out you know how you reduce those numbers because what we've been doing for the last several years isn't working. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. So um, President Biden is meeting with other NATO leaders in in Brussels and they're going to be heading on to Poland. The you know, the, the one thing, as I've been arguing since the beginning of this invasion, you know, Vladimir Putin, I think, made huge, two huge miscalculations. First of all, maybe three. First of all, he believed that the Russian army was invincible. We're seeing that that's not the case. Secondly, he thought that Ukraine would just roll over. That's certainly not the case. And now, I, I think as much as much as there is this this incredible destruction and the war crimes that are being committed, actually, I think you can make a strong argument that Ukraine is winning the war. You, you have Russian forces being pushed back on multiple fronts. You have supply lines that are being cut. You have thousands of Russian troops who are being killed. So uh, that was a miscalculation on Putin's part. And the third miscalculation he made was that he thought the West could not unite. And the one thing Vladimir Putin has done that I'm not sure that if before this all, I'm not sure I would have predicted it would happen either. But, but he has made NATO more of a force now than I think it's been in a long time. The NATO countries have united, you know, in recognizing the threat that is Russia. And can they keep them together? I, I don't know. It's kind of like after 9-11, the world kind of came together to, you know, recognize and, and deplore the, the terrorist attacks. I, I don't know how you can, if NATO can stay as united as they are now, because you've got a bunch of different countries with divergent sort of interests, and keeping them together is, I'm sure, kind of like herding cats. But at least so far, that's one of the things that Vladimir Putin has done. He's made NATO a force, and he has united that force. So, you know, President Biden was there with other NATO leaders, and from what I'm told, it was a pretty constructive sort of meeting all around. The The announcement that affects us in the United States is the president says that the U.S. is going to welcome 100,000 refugees who are fleeing Ukraine. Um, th- th- this is a huge humanitarian disaster. So far, they estimate that about 3.6 million Ukrainians have fled the country. The vast majority have gone into Poland. And at some point in time, there's only so many refugees that Poland can take. I do think 
that the other countries have an obligation to step up. I think 100,000 refugees is a good starting point, and I think the U.S. needs to be open to taking more because if we're really going to say, hey, Ukraine, you know, we we want you to carry the, the brunt of this battle against Russia's totalitarian assault, well, we have to be there to kind of help with some of the humanitarian aftermath. So I, I think Biden is right taking refugees. I think we might need to take more refugees moving forward. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, you know, this would really, this would really stink. Um, I, I'm a, I love live sports. I, I do. I, I love going to, to games and all. But this is, this is part of the problem, and it's part of the risk that you take. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks are... On pace, they're a game and a half behind Miami for the number one seed in the, the in the NBA's Eastern Conference, which would give them home home court advantage throughout at least portions of the playoffs. Miami right now is just kind of a hot mess, no pun intended. Had a fight yesterday between Jimmy Butler, the former Marquette guy, and the coach, and that, that's all over the internet. So you know, there, there's a couple teams that are all bunched up together, and if the Bucks keep winning, what did the announcer say? Ten games left. You know, they have as good a chance as, as any. To, to get that top seed. And so tonight they're playing the, the Washington Wizards, and I'm sure it's going to be a really, really good game. But but here's I mean, here's the development, if you haven't heard this. Uh, Giannis and Chris Middleton are both going to be out, so they're not going to be playing tonight. Uh, Giannis has a sore right knee. He's missed two of the last three games, and my guess is they're they're figuring that, you know, tactically, if we're going to rest him for something, we can rest him against Washington, which isn't the worst. They're not as bad as they've been in years past, but they're not great. Middleton will be sidelined for the second straight game with a sore left wrist. So, okay, I'm sure it's going to be a very, very good game. And even without those two, you know, maybe the, the Bucks are going to be able to pull it out. But here, here's what I was thinking when I saw this. I know for, first of all, to, to go to a basketball game, to go to an NBA game, you, it, it costs a bunch of money. There's just no question about it. They, they, they charge and deservedly so. I mean, they, they charge and they get top dollar for these seats. And you, you sit there, and you, I'm sure in the beginning of the year, when you're you're looking at games to go to, and I'm talking about the the casual fan. I'm not talking about the people that have the uh, you know for the the season tickets or things like that. I'm just talking about the casual fans. And, and maybe it's dad, and dad wants to take the two kids, and you decide, okay, well we're going to go to the we're going to go to the Bucks game, and here we'll go see the Washington Wizards. Oh, that's great. We're going to go see them. Well, I think probably for a lot of kids, Kids, what's the big incentive? They're going to go, they want to see the Bucks win, and they want to, etc. But they want to see Giannis. They want to see Middleton. They, they, you want to see the stars. And I get it. It's a long season. And the truth is, making sure that Giannis and Chris Middleton are are healthy for the playoffs is much more important than whether or not on a Thursday night in Milwaukee they, they're there to play a game against the Washington Wizards. And I understand you got to regulate these things. And if Giannis's knee is a little bit sore, well, okay, why risk making it worse on a Thursday night game? And I, so I, I get it, and it's a long NBA season. But it would be one of those frustrating things. I'm trying to picture if I was the, the dad that had – you know, I'm taking the family, and I've made a significant investment in tickets, and everybody's all excited, and they want to see Giannis, and they want to see Middleton, and they're they're not going to be playing tonight. That's one of the it's one of the downsides. Don't have an answer to it. Can't you know fault the Bucks if the players aren't 
fully ready to play. And I mean, my guess is if it was an important playoff game, Giannis would play. Chris Middleton would probably play. But they're trying to get him healthier. I understand. But from a fan's perspective, it's one of the risks you take when you, you drop big dollars hoping to see the stars because you don't know if those stars are going to play. Okay. Speaking of big dollars, I have a question, interesting story. I have a friend of mine, and my friend and his wife are, they're out of town during the winter for like six weeks. Okay, that's what they do. They don't spend the winters there. So we were having this conversation the other day. They're out of town, and he needs a haircut. Okay, so his wife says, I'm going to take care of this. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'll find the place. My buddy says, okay, that, that's great. You find the place. So his wife goes somewhere nearby where they're, they're staying, finds this place, makes an appointment for him. Okay, Doesn't ask the most significant question, which would be, how much is this going to cost? Just says, hey, you've got an appointment, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. This is where it is. It's right down the street. Go. So my buddy goes over there, gets his hair cut, nice you know, does a nice job, it's, it's fine, and then, you know, goes up to pay for it and asks how much it is, and they tell him $65, 65 bucks, and it was a really, really good haircut, but it was 65 bucks. Now, I have another friend, these are all true stories, by the way, I have a, another friend who is, I would describe him as I, I don't know, wealthy, well-off. You 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 know, use whatever phrase you have. But but money is not an issue when it comes to these things. He gets his hair cut in Milwaukee. He has a place on the near south side that he goes five dollars for the haircut. And as he always points out, he also tips the young lady an, an extra five bucks. But he's going for ten dollar haircuts. Um, my my other buddy, the, the sixty five dollar haircut kind of took him back a little bit, but he's at sixty five dollars for a haircut. All right, our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, this is a question. I understand it's different with women than it is with men. I understand with women there's a lot more going on, but I, I I'm thinking. He said, "Have you ever have you ever heard of sixty five dollars for a haircut?" And my answer was. No. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, wh- what's the most, guys, what's the most you've ever paid for a haircut? And what's the most you, you would pay for for a haircut? And, and of course, the, the funny part about the story is it's now going to be something that we're going to, I'm really glad it happened because we're going to be able to tease his wife moving forward. That, we're going to get all sorts of mileage out of the story. But what, what's the most expensive haircut that you've ever paid for? And and what's a reasonable price to expect to pay for a men's haircut? And I'm not talking about, you know, if you're having your hair colored or things like that. I'm just talking about getting your basic haircut. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Yeah, so my buddy ends up, nobody asks how much the haircut's going to cost. 65 bucks. 65 bucks. And, and then... The tip on on top of that, it was sixty five bucks. Jeff uh, Dale from Sheboygan says, "I've never paid more than fifteen dollars plus tip." Jeff, in 
I paid $45 in 2000 in a unisex hair saloon. Salon should have known. Stopped at the store on the way home. Bought clippers. Been cutting my own hair ever since. Jeff, my husband would never pay that. He just let his hair grow. He's paid $15. Now he's paying 10 bucks. Jeff, being a guy, I've never paid more than $25 for a haircut, but that was 10 years ago, and now I'm bald, so no more. But my daughters and son pay way more than that. I think about $50 every time. Well, it, it's different... Men and women, I hope nobody gets offended when I say this, men and women are different. And I I understand that, you know, women, generally speaking, more hair, it's a more complicated sort of process. But for, like a lot of us guys, it's just kind of the basic thing. Jeff, I used to pay that amount when I lived in Switzerland. That was the norm. I must say, though, I would never, I never thought I would pay that amount again. On the other hand, if I could get a cut that would make me look really good, you can't put a price on a good-looking man. We need all the help we can get. Jeff, for me, $37 with the tip is the most. Um, 15 bucks is more than I want to spend. Get me a seven ninety nine Great Clips coupon, please. Um, <laughs> Jeff, forty bucks is the most I would pay for a haircut, including the tip. Jeff, for me, it's twenty bucks. Same price for the last twenty years. Jeff, I paid fifty dollars once in Scottsdale, Arizona, but the girl cutting my hair was topless. Huh? I I don't. I don't. I don't even almost know what to say to that, other than you know, a, a topless woman with like sharp objects near my head. I'm not sure how that works out. Bill in Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Bill. My wife is an art teacher for MPS, and on the weekends she cuts hair. She's darn good, and. She's not worried about the $15 fee because the tips are $10, $15, $20. That's the way it is. My daughter works at one of those $8 haircut places, right? and the tips are double. That's, okay. that's the way it is. When you're good, you're good, and when you're cheap, well, at least you got your yeah. haircut. <laughs> All right. Interesting. So you said so the tips are double. So you're you're saying that even the eight dollar haircut places, people are probably leaving twenty five or thirty bucks. Uh, sometimes they leave a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on how cheap people are. Yeah, got it. Well, thanks for the call. But I mean, I and, and look, and I understand okay. it, it's it's hard. I appreciate it. It, it. By the way, it's it's hard. You know, that, that, that's hard work. I, I've always been very sympathetic to hairstylists or barbers or whatever who, you know, you're on, the, you're on your feet all day and you've got your arms up in that kind of strange position, you know, and you're cutting things. So I, I, I but it was just, I, I'm, I was kind of wondering because I, I know there's probably a lot of women that are listening to this program who are saying, hey, 65 bucks, that's nothing. You know, we, we go to the hair salon, however we do it, and it's always, it's 100 bucks or, or whatever. And I understand, I'm sure that's the case. Um, for guys, though, this 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 caught my attention. Don in Oshkosh. Don, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Gee, it's only hair. It grows back no matter how bad it is. There's no such thing as a bad haircut. Yeah. You'd never well, know it in a couple of weeks anyhow. I well, haven't you know paid it for, for a haircut a couple weeks. in 30 years. My, yeah. I haven't paid for a haircut in 30 years. My wife cuts it with a $14 clipper, and if she's not around... I just take it myself and cut it as short as I can with a clipper, and that's it. 
Oh, well, Don, thanks for the, the call. I, don't, I, I, I guess I, I disagree with the basic premise that there's no such thing as a, as a bad haircut. People who say that have probably never had a bad haircut. Now, you're right that, that you know, in a matter of a few weeks, it's going to kind of grow out and stuff. I, I just don't. And I mean, I went through this like like during COVID when you know all the hairstylists and stuff were closed. It just I, I get my hair cut about every three weeks, and you know I, I just and it was it was sort of funny because I used to talk about this. You know, during the COVID thing when all the hairstylists were closed because Evers shut down everything. I mean, I, I honest to goodness, I, I felt like I was channeling myself. You know, in the mid seventies when everybody had kind of like the long shaggy hair and stuff like that. And I was so I was so glad when they finally allowed the businesses to open up and people to go back to work. Because you know the, the the idea that there's no such thing as a bad haircut. No, that's 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 what people say when they if they've never had a bad haircut. Jeff, my son is a barber in a high end salon in downtown Chicago. He charges eighty six dollars per haircut. The crazy thing is, he's completely booked every day. Wow, eighty eighty six dollars. I wonder. I just I wonder what you get for eighty six bucks. Um, you know, I wonder what you get for that. Larry in Roscoe, Illinois. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff. Uh, right now I'm paying twelve dollars. I usually give them three dollar tips, so it's fifteen dollars. But the least I've ever spent was fifty cents, and this is back in the sixties. <laughs> All the kids just go to the barber shop on Saturday and get their hair cut. One side was a butcher shop, the other side was a barber shop. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the call, Larry. That, well, that's that's kind of it. Again, my 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 other friend, who like like I say, I, I don't, you know, he he's he's doing just fine, he's very well off. And and I, I mean, I always kid him because it, it's he says it's a ten dollar haircut. No, it's not a ten dollar haircut. It's actually a five dollar haircut, and then it's it's a five dollar tip. And he he drives to this place, and you park your car, and you you go in, and it's one of those things where you don't make the appointments, and you just you just kind of show up, and there's all sorts of people sitting. It's like the old style barber shop. People are sitting in the chairs, and then okay, next, and they put the smock around you, and boom, they go at it with the clippers and stuff, and you you walk out. And you You've got the five dollar haircut now. I I don't know. I I don't know that you know walking out. I well, I can tell you. I guarantee you, walking out, he feels happier with the five dollar haircut than he would if he found out and had to pay sixty five dollars a haircut. But don't know sixty five bucks for a haircut. What can you say? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, I once spent $50 plus tip on a haircut at a salon. I ended up hating it, shaving my head myself a week later, never again. Jeff, my wife cuts my hair weekly. My three teens cost $60 with a wash and a massage. My wife, uh, $200 each time she goes in. Jeff, I cut my own. Have had the same clippers for over 20 years. Hmm. I don't, uh, I, 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 you know, there, there's some things that I'm, I'm willing to take on myself, but the idea of, you know, the, the idea of going at my hair with a clippers, no, nah, I don't think so. Jeff, wow, no wonder people complain about dog rumor prices. I charge about $65 for a small, spree, small breed dog haircut. I won't even do a nail trim for less than $15. P.S. I'm a woman and I never get my haircut, nor does my husband. Huh. Wonder how that all how that stuff all works out. Anyways, I, I guess to each their own. All right. You know, I, I know 
I know some people would like me to just start the program and, and regularly, you know, rant on Joe Biden for the way he's handled Ukraine. And other people think, well, how dare you can even second guess him the way he's handled Ukraine. But but in general, my philosophy on Ukraine has been, I, I think. What NATO is doing, what the U.S. is doing is correct. And I understand there's, I understand what's going on to the people of Ukraine. But at the same time, it's a delicate dance. You, you don't want to do something that pushes Russia into, into starting World War III. Now, they might do that anyways. It's entirely possible. I get it. But you want to be measured in your response. And, and I, I, as I've been saying before, I really, I believe Russia's losing. I mean, Russia is losing militarily. They're, they're, they're just blowing the heck out of the country, and that's awful. But their armies are being pushed back. Their supply chains are being cut. You know, their ships are being sunk. Their tanks are being destroyed. Their helicopters are being shot down. They're, they're, they're losing. Um, so you, you want to continue, and, these, and then the sanctions are just crippling the, the Russian economy. So you, I think you want to, like, stay the course. <clears throat> so anyways, um, you know, President Biden today, He's being asked all these theoretical questions, including how would NATO respond if Russia would use a weapon of mass destruction in Ukraine? And Biden actually, I mean, he he said what I think is the appropriate response. He said, look, we will respond, we being NATO, will respond in kind if Russia uses weapons of mass destruction. We will respond if he uses it. And then somebody said, well, well what, what exactly that means? He said, well, look, the nature of what we do depends on the nature of, of the use, which to me is exactly the, the right response to say. Um, that, you know, for example, early on in this, Biden, right or wrong, said, you know, we're not going to put NATO troops on, on the ground in Ukraine. So I don't think having said that, now you can turn around and say we're going to put NATO troops there. You said you weren't going to do it. You weren't going to do it. Maybe you shouldn't have said that. You know, maybe you shouldn't have telegraphed that to Putin because it perhaps emboldened him. But once you make that declaration, I think you're kind of bound by it. This is, I think, exactly the, the right response. That, look, if, if Putin decides to use weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine, we will respond. But I'm not going to tell you how we're going to respond because we're, we're going to see what he does. And our response is going to be proportional no i think i i think he's he's handling that the right way that's the right thing to say so very glad to have you with us all right there's a story that caught my attention in the wall street journal the other day americans are having an aha moment but what, what exactly is that aha moment? Well, you know, you, you probably see the headlines and you, and you hear the, the lead stories on, on television and on the radio news and things about inflation. And in, in, in one context, it's just it's the numbers. OK, so inflation is up 8.9 percent over, you know, the same time last year and greatest <clears throat> bump, bump in prices since, you know, the last 35 years. OK, so. You, you have you see the numbers, but I think oftentimes that the numbers <clears throat> don't tell you everything. It's it's just kind of a number. You say, oh, stuff costs nine percent more or eight point nine percent more. Oh, that that that's not good. But it, it really it has an effect on you when what happens is you you actually go into <clears throat> the store 
or, or go to the gas station or go, you know, wh- wherever and, and get ready to buy something that you've been purchasing for the longest time. And, and you say, OK, it, it's now I, I'm used to getting the, the cheap hamburger and the cheap hamburger <clears throat> costs. You know, I've been doing this every week, and I buy a couple pounds of the cheap hamburger, and, and this is what it costs me per pound. And then all of a sudden you go and you look, oh, my gosh, the, the cheap hamburger and what it used to cost is now what the expensive hamburger used to cost. So it's that they, they call that the aha moment when it comes to inflation. And I, I thought it would be interesting to just take a little bit of time this afternoon and, and open up the phone lines and our text lines. And my, my question is... Have you had that aha moment yet? Or maybe it's better put to say uh-oh moment, but the aha moment when suddenly there's there's a product, maybe it's a good, maybe it's a service, I, I don't know, but something that you know you use on a regular basis, that you buy on a regular basis, and all of a sudden you're you're in the store, you're contracting with the service or whatever, and they tell you what the price is, and you go, Oh my goodness, maybe it's the cost of gasoline. That's one of the most obvious things because as we all drive around, you know, we see the gas stations and you see the big signs where they post what the cost of the gallon is. But have you had your aha moment when it comes to inflation? And, and what was it, that item, the good, the service, that all of a sudden the, the price has just gone up in such a way that you're now kind of shaking your head going, my gosh, I can't believe this cost this much and, and maybe it's, well, okay, maybe given that cookies cost this much now, maybe I, I don't need those cookies anymore, whatever. But the aha moment and the product that's given you that aha moment when it comes to inflation. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, we're, we're talking about the I call it the inflation aha moment. You know, a lot of times you, you, you hear the stories, oh, inflation is up or whatever, and yeah, what, 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 what's, what does this mean to me? And then I think for a lot of us, there's been that experience where all of a sudden you, you go into the grocery store or you, you go into wherever and, and it, it hits home because there's some product that you're used to buying and all of a sudden you see it, it's, it's just gone through the roof. Uh, Jamie and Rippin says the bread I buy was two ninety nine and it went to four seventeen before dropping back to three thirty nine. Jeff, um, my aha moment came um, in looking at the quarterly earnings reports of stocks I own. Costs are up about nine percent. They raised prices about twenty percent. Uh, cha-ching. Jeff, for me, um, soda and nitrite gloves at Fleet Farm, gloves I buy in bulk every two to three years, they doubled in price. Um, <laughs> I, and um, I, I now bought a lower quality glove. Um, Jeff, my aha moment was I saw I saw that a can of Pringles potato chips went from a dollar to a dollar eighty one in the last few months. Watched it climb every grocery trip. I stopped buying some some time ago. Their ounces may be less now too. Yeah, that would be what, what's the term? These shrink shrinkflation, where you know you're, you're used to used to be four for the sake of argument. It used to be fourteen ounces and now it's twelve ounces or something like that. Eight five five six one six. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. Jeff in the grocery store, a package of name brand bacon shut up to eight ninety nine or nine ninety nine for the package. Yeah. And that's to me unbelievable. <laughs> so 
I did the alternative, went to Aldi and got one for four fifty. It was just as good. Yeah. Now, thanks to call Tony. You know, it, it's funny you should mention bacon. I think for my wife, and she does bless her bless her lovely heart she does you know most of the grocery shopping and and that's one of the first things she said where where she really noticed it because um you know, she'll she'll make me breakfast I'm, I'm a lucky guy and she'll make breakfast a couple times a week for me she makes breakfast a lot for me but i, I my treat is to have bacon a couple times a week and i again i don't know it's just that the same type of bacon that we always buy and i don't even know what type that is to be honest with you but she came back and she said this stuff has doubled in price so you better enjoy it a lot tom and West Bend. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Tom. Thanks for calling. uh, We Energy sent me an email today that said my budget billing went up 30%. That was my (laughs) aha moment. Oh geez, your your budget billing went up thirty percent. Yeah, that's that's uh, Tom. Thanks for the call. That's I think a lot of people are probably listening to that and they're they're raising their hands and saying we feel Tom's pain because that's that's been one of the the big hits. And of course, you, you know, you, I mean, gas is the most obvious one. I, I acknowledge that because gas is what you see, you know, driving around and things like that. And, and pretty much all of us have to buy gasoline. You don't have to necessarily buy bacon and things like that. But, yeah, that's another thing when it comes to that energy cost. And, wow, 30% increase. Unbelievable. Um, Dave in Bayview. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yes, my moment came January 1st of this year when I got my uh, amount that I'll be getting from my pension. It went up $3,000, my pension for the year, for the okay, cost of living. Yeah. Now, that's okay. good news for me, but, man, oh, yeah. that's a lot. No. No, I will no, say that the last year for Trump, I only got $300 for his last year. The pension went up. So the cost of living went up 10 times greater yeah. under Biden's yeah. first year. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. See, that that's always it. I mean, there was, um, I, I know when when, we, when this first happened, when, you know, Social Security, for example, those of you who are on Social Security, you know, that, that's tied to the cost of living. So I, I, I remember I got a text from somebody or something saying, oh, this is great. I, I, I got a raise, like whatever the numbers went. I, I think it was 7 or 8%. Whatever whatever the Social Security increase was, I remember somebody texted me, oh, this is great. It's gone up. And, I, I mean, I hated to burst their bubble. But it was like, well, social social security is tied to the cost of living. So if your if your payment went up six or seven or eight percent, whatever that would be, that's because costs have gone up six or seven or eight percent. And and it really, I hate to break the bad news to you, but you know, in in some areas like cost of prescription drugs and stuff, it's way over six and seven percent. So yeah, you, you've got eight percent. But sometimes people. You know, fail to understand. Oh, I, I got a raise. That's great. They give me a three or four percent raise, and, and that's wonderful. Not not taking anything away from it. But if if inflation has driven costs up eight percent, you're not keeping pace. If you just got a, an increase, uh, so we're talking about aha moments. Jeff, the cost for the smallest head of lettuce is at five dollars. I refuse to spend that. Normally, it's under um, two dollars um jeff electrical wire at menards i used to pay 39 dollars. it went up to 116 bucks that's all because the uh, cost of copper went up um let's see jeff security tags are now on meat in grocery store and 60 dollar a pound crab legs yes I, i've i've heard about the expensive crab legs one of the things um somebody was telling me during the break as a matter of fact was uh, chicken wings 
and they were telling me the story about how, like, for the Super Bowl party, they ordered a whole bunch of chicken wings without realizing what the cost would be. And it was like, well, it was well into three figures for, for chicken wings. I mean, what can you do with that? Jeff, for me, the aha moment was lumber. Um, lumber turned out to be four. It's gone up four times, four times the price of what it was. I haven't bought lumber in a long time, but, you know, that's, I mean, that's one of the problems. I, I know people who have different either home improvement projects or people who are in the process of building their own home um, at, or building a new home or whatever, and they're, they're, they're just stunned by two things. First of all, there's delays because nobody can get the, the stuff that they need to do it because of the supply chain problems. And secondly, because unless they've locked in their prices, they're constantly getting these adjustments because the cost of a lot of the services are going up. Jeff, Gatorade at Meyer went from a 32 ounce bottle to a 28 ounce bottle and the price went from a dollar to a dollar 19 with the reduced ounces that's a 36 percent increase yeah that's that's where that that shrinkflation comes in where it's you're, you're really not comparing apples to apples but you know it's like huh this bottle doesn't look as big as it used to be well yeah it's more expensive and it's four ounces less jeff for me the aha moment was girl scout cookies the price went up and the size went down um yeah you've got that factor that's going on um as well let's see let's talk to um Hugh in Silver Springs, Florida. Hill, you're on, Hugh, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Milwaukee. So, uh, during the holidays, uh, I, w- I went over to my favorite grocery store and going to pick out a nice sized turkey. And in the frozen selection, there was there was the turkeys and there were duck and, and capon and there was a goose in there. And uh, years ago, I, I used to enjoy goose. You know, I like the dark meat net. And I turned it over to see what it cost: a hundred and six dollars for a twelve pound goose. Okay, and what what would I, I just I have no idea how much a goose would cost. What would it normally have been before inflation? I would say, well, back when I used to enjoy them, I mean, I'm talking 25 years ago, I could get a nice sized goose for you know 20, 25 bucks. But when I turned that baby over and I read the <laughs> to the label on it, it was 106 dollars for a 12 pound goose. That was an aha. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for the call, you. And it's probably, I'm going to put it back, and maybe we don't need that. Jeff, my aha moment came when I went to test drive a new car, fully aware that the old days of getting the MSRP price down a couple thousand bucks are gone. But the nerve of some car dealers to add seven to $10,000 to the price of a car simply because they want to, I walked away without purchasing the car. Yeah, that's... That's the thing. Jeff, my aha moment was when I went to the grocery store last week. Cereal that I usually buy for $4.79 a box was now up to $5.99 a box. Yeah, these these are the things that really, um, you know, end up, they get your attention. There's no question about it. Um, let's talk to Jason on the north side. Jason, you're on WTMJ. First, thanks for taking my call. And my aha sure. moment was when you were talking about the Social Security raise. It right. was 5.9%, but they raised Medicare $36. So okay. the $48 I got in a raise was all ate up by Medicare. So my money is actually smaller because of inflation. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, well, yeah. Th- thanks to call. Yeah, no, Jason, I get it exactly. No, thank, thank I right that, and that's I understand that that that's where that that whole healthcare thing came in, and a lot of people were all excited about it, but it just it just ended up not working out. But yeah, that's that's a factor. People have to pay attention to these type of things, and it's why inflation matters. I have one yeah, other question for one other comment. Hey, I the, I listen to you all the time. And somebody called in about six months ago and said you had the worst show on, on the radio. You don't. You can't be at least second okay. third, right? Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks I, okay, Jason. I, I, actually, some, some that was funny. I remember months and months ago, somebody sends a text. This is the worst show on the radio. I said, really? It's the worst show on the radio? And yet you listen every day? And, and yet I've, I've been able to be on full or part-time for 27 years? Go go figure. Um, a lot of people want to weigh in on this. And, and I guess I, I, I bring this up just because you you do need to pay attention to these things. Jeff, our aha moment started years ago. We only buy meat on sale. We also look for meat coupons, discounted meats at Aldi. When bacon is on sale, we buy it and freeze it. I, I think that's causing a lot of people to, you know, end up, you know, doing that. Jeff, my aha moment has to be people complaining about pricing. What are you going to do? Not buy groceries? No, it's not a question of not buying groceries, but I do think what happens is a lot of people are maybe changing their buying habits or their groceries maybe that they used to buy, used to buy a particular brand of cereal. Maybe you're looking for some sort of different type of cereal. Maybe you're used to buying a certain cut of beef. Now you're giving that up. A lot of people are talking about seafood, particularly um, shrimp, being sold in more expensive and smaller packages and things like that. Bottom line is, if you haven't had your aha moment when it comes to inflation yet, well, okay, just stick around because I guarantee you it's coming. Something else that is coming up is Greg Matzik with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. We'll talk to Greg in just a moment.